Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Before we get started, I want to note that this episode contains depictions of sex that might not be suitable for all audiences, including children. This is not the kind of story I typically get to do. And so I think when I finally got a chance to do my own show, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do that OnlyFans story. I'm going to do that weird online sex story that everyone was making fun of last year. They know that fans of OnlyFans are only fans of one thing, right? Because this little website out of the UK that was built to let artists convert likes into paid subscriptions was now seen as a porn site. A site that claims that it went from 10 million users before the pandemic to 150 million today. From the outside, it seemed like the quarantines had unleashed some kind of culture shift. I think that it has mainstreamed the idea of doing sex work in a really fast way. Um, We have supercharged this idea that you can hop online and you know, take your clothes off on video and that'll make you a bunch of money. Like all gig economy work, the pitch goes something like this. Are you burnt out, struggling to make ends meet? Well, sweetie, I was. Until I burned it all to the ground and started an OnlyFans. And lots of people did. It's almost like you bite the bullet when you decide to do anything like this, I think. You sort of go, I know what people are going to think about me. I know what they're going to say. And you sort of, you weigh up the pros and the cons and you make the jump and just hope for the best. So who are these people? How did they end up at the nexus of content creation and sex work? How has this latest development online changed things for adult industry vets? It's definitely what I use to wrangle my life back together. Because if there was not that constant money or was not that constant creative outlet even, I don't know what I would have done for that year. And what about the people who had never considered selling sex before? I feel like I have to make this work to survive now because to find another job from here or to do something else is going to be a lot harder than it was for me before I made this decision. How is this blurring of lines between so-called mainstream social media content creation, and sex work made a cultural taboo just like any other job. I'm Audie Cornish, and this is The Assignment. We're going to start with Samantha Cole, who is aptly a writer at Vice, specifically their tech vertical motherboard. She's also written a book called How Sex Changed the Internet and the Internet Changed Sex, An Unexpected History. I mean, a lot of what happened early online was focused on sex and porn. And those were the people who set up a lot of the systems that we use today. She calls OnlyFans a kind of glorified payments processor. It's also the latest in a long line of e-commerce innovations mainstreamed by the adult entertainment industry. They were the first to set up kind of these 
payment systems to sell porn, uh, things like browser cookies and shopping carts, viewer accounts, uh, online advertising. All of these things were pioneered by early internet pornographers. As someone who also grew up in the 90s, right? Or I don't know if you do. I know how old you are. But if you can trace your AOL name to now, oh my God. I feel like you have a very specific, what was yours? I don't, I don't think I even had a AOL. I was like... Oh, you're too young. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in the 90s, but I was not like... I wasn't... I was on like bulletin boards and stuff. Oh, right. Because... <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, you're talking live to News Girl with a Z. Um, oh, my God. That's so cute. The RL. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I Very feel prescient. like it gives you a, a perspective on this, right? Like, because you've grown up yeah. alongside the actual growth of the internet. Yeah. And since the smartphone democratized content creation, being very online doesn't just help us do our jobs. For some of us, it is our job. And the rise of OnlyFans has made a certain kind of content creator very visible and very mainstream. We have supercharged this idea that you can hop online and, you know, take your clothes off on video and that'll make you a bunch of money. Right. Which is, I I try and process it like, okay, if you're going to be a rideshare driver like just that doesn't make you a cab driver right or does it (laughs) right yeah it's you know i think people have this idea that it's like quick cash um and that it's easy and i think people in the industry will tell you that it's not easy it's very hard and it comes with all this stigma so it's actually not all that different from being an uber driver right i mean you're selling access to your time although ride sharing doesn't put you at risk for public shaming Hips tick tock when I dance. On that demon time, she might start her OnlyFans. All the Beyonce name drops in the world can't prevent the social or financial penalties that come with the stigma of selling sexual content. You're going to be deplatformed from Venmo and Airbnb, like all of these other unrelated things. Once it's kind of established that you're a sex worker, uh, you could put the rest of your life on the line as far as what you're used to being able to access because of the discrimination that goes along with banking and right. sex Right. Even work. if you don't consider yourself a sex worker. And here's where we should make that, I think, distinction um, between people who might be doing sex work, interacting with mm-hmm. clients physically. Is that a good way of putting it? I think um, this is kind of something that's uh, controversial among sex workers themselves, but um, the way that I understand it, um, people believe that they're not sex workers because they're not meeting people in person. Um, And the reality is that under the eyes of society and the state and banks, you are, um, and you should be in solidarity with the rest of that. And that it doesn't help your cause if you're going to be discriminated against whether you consider yourself a sex worker or not, if you're doing that type of work, um, unfortunately, that's that's really the reality. And in times of crisis, like, you know, a worldwide pandemic that almost shuts down an economy, that's not exactly front of mind for a person about to upload some nudes. And again, some of them didn't expect to be in sex work in the first place. No one ever expects it. No one. But at the same time, I didn't expect it either. But when I look back, I was taking nudes like, like it was my job the second I turned 18. So it wasn't... <laughs> I didn't expect it, but I was preparing for it. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, go ahead. Well, for sure. It's like, it's. I think taking nudes for me was always natural. I don't know if you yeah. feel the same way. So it was like, yeah. you know, why am I going to send them to people for free when I can make money yeah. from something I do anyway? 
This um, feels so generational. Like I'm at Gen X, so like when people first started doing that, mm-hmm. everyone was like, "What?" <laughs> the yeah. scandal. Yeah, like I can't believe <laughs> yeah. you, right? Like it, it's real scandal. It's real scandal. But I do feel like, yeah, if you're in your 20s, you actually would have grown up with the idea of it. Even like it's a part yeah. of your sexual vocabulary. Yeah. Oh yeah. But you have to not care. Mm-hmm. You have to like take it within yourself to be like. The stigma that I feel against this also has to go. The voices of Vanille and James Cowie. They're OnlyFans creators. And we're going to hear their stories when we come back. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Apollo, the, the god of music, was also the god of medicine. Right? So there, there's been a long time link between music and, and sound and health. That is my favorite fact of the month. <laughs> Apollo, the god of music, was also the god of medicine. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Let's explore the world we're living in every weekday with On Point from WBUR, Boston's NPR. Find and follow On Point wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Assignment. James Cowie is 25 and lives in Bournemouth, England. Vanille is 23 and is based in New York City. Both are content creators, both joined OnlyFans, but for very different reasons. Vanille's a career sex worker, actually won awards for her work as a trans performer. But she says some porn studios wouldn't work with her once she revealed she was HIV positive. So making a living after that involved cobbling together social media and apps to make a steady income. I did that mainly over Tumblr. Um, And then many vids came into the picture, which was more long-form video, but still like sex-based. Uh, but still not subscription. And then when OnlyFans got put into the mix, it was really just this, it felt very new. Subscription-based things have been around for a very long time. Exactly, yeah. But it felt very like, oh, I get it. Like, I just pay a monthly fee and I get whatever's on this page. And that's what happens with Netflix. That's what happens with Hulu. And it seems so easy. James, how'd you get into it? Because this was not your original profession? Yeah, so I was a healthcare assistant for six years. Um, It was a family business that my nan owned at the time. Um, She owned a care home and it was a dementia home. So um, just elderly people I was caring for. Um, I just got to a point where I thought this isn't for me anymore. But um, so I went off to college and studied nursing, but I ended up dropping out because I couldn't afford to stay in. 
went back into similar lower level healthcare work. So same pay grade. But to pause, you were on your way to being a nurse? Was that the goal? That was always my goal and sort of the natural, it felt like the natural progression for me and something that um, my family sort of expected and what I wanted to do. Um, But I just got so burnt out by the time the pandemic came around that that was just with the mask wearing on top for 12-hour shifts and all of that stuff. Uh, So OnlyFans sort of found me, I guess. I'm sort of, I was looking online and on Instagram, how are other people making money? What is like a quick fix right now that I can do to move on? Um, And I saw what other gay guys were doing. I saw how they were making money and it was really sort of something I didn't want to do and something that scared me a little bit because I thought that's that's public and that's openly creating explicit content publicly. And there's real stigma to that, right, Vanil? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In any any country or culture, the idea of taking off one's clothes for anything other than love is taboo and, and shame, shame, shame. Yeah. It's hard to get past that. It's almost like you bite the bullet when you decide to do anything like this, I think. You sort of go, absolutely, I yeah. know what people are going to think about me. I know mm-hmm. what they're going to say. And you sort of you weigh up the pros and the cons and you exactly. and you make the jump and just hope for the best. Is it sex work, James? Um, I would say anyone who creates fully explicit content and I have created stuff with other people, but probably only a very small percentage of. Um, yes, it is. Yeah. Vanille, for you, do you believe that what you do is sex work and has anything about the last few years blurred the lines of that as Oof. more and more people embrace the idea of it? I think people, I think definitely people have thought of different ways of doing sex work that fit their comfort level. But I think what I do is total sex work. And I'm happy that it is. What do you think people would say? What are you in a way, um, in terms of social um, penalty, Mm. what is it? I can never be a teacher (laughs) if I somehow you know, down the line, feel like I want to teach, which so many people want to do. I don't think that could ever happen for me. I don't think I could ever walk into a school and give them my name and them not look it up and see me as someone uh, that's dangerous to kids. And that that's that's probably the hardest one. And that's a lot, actually. I feel exactly the same. I feel I'll never be a nurse. Um, yeah. For the exact same reasons and the stigma and, you know, one Google... And you're considered this almost crazy person that, um, why you know, you can't be around vulnerable people because you're not a safe person. And and it's interesting, both of you came to this work in a way because of financial issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was working full time at the time, just being a little retail person for four or five years. And um, one day they just fired me, you know. One day that whole like family dynamic that I had grown to love over the last four years and that steady paycheck, which was not enough in any way, shape or form, but that steady paycheck was just gone. And you're left with what to do, where to go. How many jobs can I really apply for? How many times can I get told no before it's too much? And then you just go into business for yourself, I feel. Or that's what I did. And even with that steady income, like I had 
in healthcare. You know, it came in every month, mm-hmm. but it wasn't giving me enough to have a nice life or no. have a life where I could sort of flourish and do what I wanted in. And looking at nurses as well, um, who were above me, earning twice my salary, um, speaking to them and hearing how burnt out they were and the morale. Right. And just thinking like, why am I going to invest my life into this industry where even in the progression path, Mm -hmm. they're not happy either. It it just seemed mad. Um, Can I ask you a question, James? Of course, yeah. Did they, uh, towards the pandemic or when the pandemic actually like came to full head, was there like any raise of pay or any talk about raise of pay or how did they navigate that? Or did they just say, you guys are on your own? So that was literally the last straw for me. Boris Johnson announced a 1% pay rise across the board. And 1% was like, are you joking? What? Like, And we should say this is for the National Health Service you're working for, because for a U.S. audience, they're used to private, kind of privatized healthcare. But there, the prime minister could say there is going to be a pay raise. So, yeah. So for context, I was earning £1,100 a month after tax, Mm. three days a week, 12-hour shifts a week. Um... That's what I was earning at the end of every month. And when I was offered a 1% pay increase on that, I was just like, that's nothing. You know, um, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this story is because you often see news headlines that imply that this is hitting some kind of lottery, uh, getting into this kind of work using Mm. the subscriber model, so to speak. Uh. So like a typical one I found in the New York Post was, how these athletes are using OnlyFans to cash in from feet pics to Olympic dreams. Like, that's very common, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like, this person made a million dollars overnight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's the reality? The reality is you're working all day, every day, because mm-hmm. you're working for yourself. There's, like, no one there to push your product, which is you, to anybody besides you. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to be in people's faces, <laughs> in people's atmosphere all the time in order for them to even think about spending $5 on your subscription. And that's a lot of work. That's a ton of work. And it does not equal a million bucks overnight in any way. And I love that you said the product is you. Mm -hmm. I mean, when it comes to the digital space, the product is always you. (laughs) Yeah. In a way, I mean, even if you're not in sex work, am I overstepping there or? I agree. I think it's across all industries. I think if you're self-employed, you have that responsibility to show up Mm -hmm. and be everywhere all the time. I think what the difference might be there is that when you feel you've taken this gamble and this risk to jump into something like OnlyFans, your job is like, I have to make this work to survive now because to find another job from here or to do something else is going to be a lot harder than it was for me before I made this decision. So I think to be in everyone's faces all the time, it's like that looming pressure of like, I will make this a success. I am going to make this work. Yeah. Tell me how much you made the moment you realized, hey, I could make a living this way. In the first two days, I made, ooh, it was something like three or 4,000 in the first two days. And okay, Vanille's eyes just popped open. That's crazy, yeah. James is saying <laughs> a pretty big number. Vanille, I don't, if you can recall maybe the year or month when you joined, I mean, what, what was the number that made you go, oh, okay. Okay, so when I started, I was still kind of a nobody. Mm-hmm. And I sort of built my OnlyFans along with building a lot of my social media. So it started from pretty much kind of 
bare minimum. But when I really started noticing that it was real money was when it started to reach about 10K a month. Mm -hmm. And what year was this? Earlier this year. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell me about what you do in terms of your content to give people a, a sense of what your day is like. Yeah, I mean, every day is different. I mean, one day, you know, I'm waking up, I'm going to B&M, I'm spending like 40 quid on candles to light up and dress up as the Sandman from Netflix, <laughs> you know, but I'm doing a naked version of that. And then another day, it could be something completely more normal and natural where it's just me being solo, just completely naked with nothing on. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where, whereas for you, Vanille, you before this, I mean, you consider yourself a porn performer. I mean, you've mm -hmm. won awards for it, right? So yeah. um, what what is the kind of model, like figuring out, for instance, pricing? So I've like mainlined a lot of my things and I've taken from uh, the advertisers of yesteryear and how they get things done. Ooh, tell me more. First of all, I don't base anything, I don't price anything, any subscription over $10. I think people have an impulse threshold and anything over $10, they have to really think about anything they have to think about, they're probably just going to click away. And I've like mainlined my day to where I'll get up and I go on Chatterbait um, for about three hours. Is that the like, it's uh, like a carousel site? No. Oh, oh. No, not really. Okay, I'm, I'm mixing it, it up way. with something else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a campsite. By the it's, way, it's this just... is why it's so hard to report on this, because like as a journalist, there's this moment where you're like, am I supposed to admit or not admit that I might know what any given thing <laughs> exactly, is? Exactly, that I know exactly what yeah, you're talking and, about. But yeah. it gets at the idea of social stigma, because mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. how is it possible to talk about this? Right. Because when you talk about it, it's exactly what you said. Mm -hmm. You have a what about the children thing that kicks in. Right. Right now, OnlyFans is in the middle of fighting with the UK government about new legislation mm -hmm. precisely because of reports of images of kids on the site. Yeah. This and, is really um, interesting. Yeah. Do you want to jump in, James? Because, I mean, you're probably reading about this. Yeah. Um, this is really interesting because as a creator, I think, you know, you're always worried about who's going to see this stuff. I don't want to cause harm. I don't want anyone who's not supposed to see it to see it. And since I've been on the platform for two years at OnlyFans, they've always, always ID checked. They've always required passport or a driving license to check ages. We know that, you know, some kids can steal their dad's driving license and get on, which was the issue I think we're facing in the UK, which I agree with. You know, I feel like these kids need to be protected. So do we as creators, um, you know, engaging with people we don't know who they are. We need to know for our safety. And it's real because the banking industry mm -hmm. obviously has to deal with a lot of regulations um, around exploitation and trafficking and things like that. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot of policing of this industry. And so companies are nervous. Can you talk about how this has affected your lives as creators? Gosh, I, I, it'd be... I'd be lying if I said I wasn't nervous. Mm -hmm. To be a sex worker means you have to have a bank. You have to have a place to put the money. And there is no bank that thinks that sex work is okay. There has not been a bank. There is not going to be a bank because sex work to them just equals exploitation and it equals something harmful and something bad. Yeah, and it, it's just, this is so frustrating that, you know, 
all these organizations that basically run the world are throwing us under the bus. Yeah. I know a lot of people who have gotten their entire accounts just frozen and their money just gone. Yeah. Yeah. But I pay taxes and I'm doing a job that doesn't hurt anyone. Right. Why, why should these banks have a say on something that they clearly don't know anything about? James, for you, you got into this work. I mean, you left nursing, essentially, or your aspirations of nursing, and you got into this work um, in part for financial reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, again, what are your worries, right? Like, that, there, it sounds like there's a vulnerability there. Yeah. I didn't know much about this industry. I, I knew more about social media and sort of how I was getting this engagement and how am I going to monetize this engagement that I'm getting. So once I jumped to OnlyFans, you know, all of this was a huge learning curve about sex work, about the censorship and what we can and can't do. And and I was quite emotional because um, I was scared as well. Um, and I think that all of this, all of this that's happened afterwards has just been a lot for me to take in. The mental health strain, the worries about the financial and the long-term stuff, it's probably stuff I should have thought about, but I didn't. And I'm still making sort of hay whilst the sun's shining, so I'm not going to complain. But, you know, for how long? I don't think any of us know. And Vanille, I feel like you see this as your professional work, right? Like Mm -hmm. you didn't take it lightly. Um, What is it like for you to hear that? knowing that there are many, many more Jameses out there, right? Like people yeah. who have jumped into it, who had, quote unquote, regular jobs. I mean, I understand it. I completely see how you got from point A to point B. Do you do you regret it at all? No. No? No, I, do, I, I don't regret it because I feel like my personality fits in well with it. I'm getting paid the right amount of money for the time I'm putting in when before I wasn't. Right. I'm not... Uh, um, lazy person and I'm a hard worker, yeah. but I want to be rewarded for what I give. Yeah. And I feel OnlyFans does that. I think that's what's interesting about this moment in time, because um, sex and the internet have been <laughs> kind of grown up together in a lot of ways, right? They would, when it yeah. comes to the internet, sex has always been there. But it's hard not to hear in both of you the interest in having control mm. yeah. over your own lives. Um, and People do often think of um, adult entertainment as fundamentally exploitive, mm-hmm. but you're both talking about it like you have a kind of control. Yeah, it's definitely what I use to wrangle my life back together. Because if there was not that constant money or was not that constant um, creative outlet even, I don't know what I would have done for that year. Yeah, and even for James, it's like a safe, so to speak, path. Yeah. Like, it doesn't sound like you would do this work if you didn't have a safe, financially stable way of on-ramping onto it. Yeah. It's just taking back that control of my life and what I earn. And this journey, it's given me confidence where I didn't have it. It's given me, it's given me a lot. That was James Cowie and Vanille, two content creators on OnlyFans. And that's it for this episode of The Assignment. New episodes of our show drop every Thursday. So listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review. 
Now, one more thing. If you have an assignment for me, a story that you want to hear more about, or one that is affecting your community, give us a call. You can leave a voicemail at 202-854-8802 or record a voice memo on your phone and email it to us at theassignmentcnn at gmail.com. The Assignment is a production of CNN Audio. Our producers are Madeline Thompson, Jennifer Lai, Isoke Samuel, Allison Park, Lori Galaretta, and Sonia Tan. Our senior producer is Haley Thomas, and our supervising producer is Steve Lichtai. Mixing and sound design by David Schulman. Our technical director is Dan DeZula. Abby Swanson is our executive producer. Special thanks to Katie Hinman. I'm Audie Cornish, and thank you for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.